Happy birthday to ya. Interplanetary. Happy birthday to ya. Podcast. Oh, nice. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Well, it's podcast 25. It's only a year, Matt. A year. I know I say it weird. Even though you say it weirdly, it's still a year. It's still a year. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, happy happy anniversary. Oh, happy anniversary, Jamie. What did you get me? I got you a Planetary Society t-shirt. Ace. I oh, know. Who else got a Planetary Society t-shirt? I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, this is brilliant. This is this is great. This is a good start. The, the, so, yeah, Matt, this- what, <laughs> Matt, can you tell us what we've got coming up in the show? Well, we've got the inevitable Bezos retort to Musk. Oh, <laughs> only kidding, we've Jeff. We've got uh, a, bit, a bit of news about Kepler. Nice. I picked up a funny story about fast radio bursts. I like the way that you said you picked that up. I picked it up. Very good use of words, Matt. Very apt. Oh, do you see what? Yes, yeah. like, a, like a big yeah. massive radar dish. Yeah. Cassini's carrying on, uh, like giving us some pretty amazing stuff. And we'll be harking back to our Saturn's ring story. We will be. We'll also be talk- talking of Saturn. We'll also be get- talking about Pan. A- any listener should pause if they hadn't listened to the Saturn uh, episode. Yeah. Give it a quick listen because you'll find my song during the show very useful for when for later on when we talk about uh, the different rings because you'll need to know that what order true. they are. That is true. And I mean, I had, Matt, uh, when I was a kid, um, my uncle taught me um, a song to remember the periodic table because that week I was going into my science GCSE exam. Um, so I learned it religiously over, over a couple of weeks. He said it will really help you. And um, walked into the exam... And sitting there on everyone's desk was a copy of the periodic table. <laughs> so uh, didn't need it. Uh, but it's no. always stayed with me. Kind of forgotten it now, but maybe I'll, I'll fly into a burst of it later. Well, that's a bit like my A-level physics when we did AS-level physics and we were told, oh, don't worry, you get, you get the formulas in the exam. Yeah. And we didn't get the formulas in the exam. Oh, oh. So it, so it could be worse. It could be that way round. So don't moan. Don't moan about learning stuff. Could could always be worse. Could always be worse. You do realise that your story was moaning about learning stuff. I've been hoist by my own petard, haven't I, Matt? Do you know what else we're going to talk about? What? We're going to talk about the Neil Armstrong biopic called First Man. How exciting is that? I'm very, very excited about that. And I love this headline, Spuds on Mars. Oh, yes, Spuds on Mars. Basically, we we could finish the podcast now. Yeah, basically, that's it. (laughs) Do, 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 and end. I think uh, we should start with a lovely quote that you've been sent in by Mary. Mary Valiakas. Great name. Has sent in a quote, which I have heard before, but it's a, a fantastic quote. It's a great uh, quote one, isn't it? Edgar Mitchell of Apollo 14. And he says this, You develop an instant global consciousness, a people orientation, an intense dissatisfaction with the state of this world, and a compulsion to do something about it from out there on the moon... International politics looks so petty. You want to grab a politician by the scruff of the neck and drag him a quarter of a million miles out and say, Look at that, you son of a bitch. 
<laughs> the whole way through that, I was trying to place your accent. Was that American? Um, yeah, I think Edgar Mitchell was in de- in, indeed the first Indian on the moon. Right. Uh, interesting. Okay. Well, he wasn't. He wasn't, Jamie. You know that that was an American <laughs> it accent. It was. It was very good. And, and, and what a quote, it, to be fair. That actually was a recording of Edgar Mitchell. It wasn't me doing an impression. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and an extremely apt in this day and age. Love it. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. So, Matt, what's um, what, what's JB up to? Jeff Bezos, not to be outdone by Elon Musk's. Um... He can't just let it lie, can he? He has no, to he go can't. one. He, he has to go one more. So, this story was in the Washington Post. And hmm. uh, do you know who owns the Washington Post? Let me guess. Is it Jeff? Yeah, <laughs> it is Jeff Bezos. Well, I never. Yeah, I know. What's really weird is that I paid for something on Amazon using PayPal the other day. Right. I thought that was ironic. Yeah, that is ironic. Yeah. And, and even weirder still, it was a model Saturn V. It's the triple whammy. For George's birthday. It's the holy trinity of online transactions. And, and the weird thing was, I was doing it on an internet connection that was via a satellite. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty cool, isn't it? When you think about it, in the grand scheme of things. Space. Space. Oh, yeah, baby space. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we are living in that world. So we haven't even, I haven't even started to talk about Jeff Bezos yet. So Jeff Bezos ha- uh, circulated a seven-page white paper right. to the NASA leadership and President Trump's transition team about the company's interest in developing a lunar spacecraft. Right. He wants to go to the South Pole because there's loads of water there and he's, there's places there that are in continual sunlight. So you can uh, tap it up for solar energy all day long. Right. Okay. And uh, the memo urges the space agency to back an Amazon-like shipment service. I like the fact that he managed to get Amazon <laughs> oh, there. Uh, for the moon yeah. that would deliver gear for experiments, cargoes and habitats by mid-2020, helping to enable future human settlements. So he's talking about in the next four years... And and this is what he said. He says, it is time for America to return to the moon. This time to stay. Whoa. I wonder what I wonder what old Elon thought when he read this. He, I bet he thought, oh, you know, he couldn't even give me a month. No, I know. And what's really weird is that NASA made a bit made a bit of a kind of step back from the whole moon right. thing. When they were sort of saying about their uh, sending men round the moon in their Orion capsule on the very first SLS mm. flight. They then sort of said, well, look, what we said was this is a feasibility study, not whether we were going to do it or not. We were just going to look into whether we might do it or what's the feasibility yeah. of it. So they've kind of stepped back a little bit. Uh, but United Launch Alliance as well, mm. uh, they've been they've been talking about it. Uh, Tory Bruno, who's the chief executive, said... This administration, near as we can tell, feels a sense of urgency to go out and make things happen and to have high-profile demonstrations that are along the roadmap to accomplish these broad goals. Mm. So there we go. And he said there is an opportunity to begin building that infrastructure right now within the next four years. <laughs> I love that. So, right now within the... It could be, could be up to well, four years. Yeah. But it doesn't mean, oh, well, by the way, we've got it all now and yeah. we're, we're launching it yeah. tomorrow. I mean, come on, just get a bit of well. patience. But in the next, come on, in the next four years, if we're, if we're going to start building a base on the moon. Look, if Bruno wants to yank my chain, I'm, not gonna, I'm just not going to adhere to it, Matt. Yeah? <laughs> but no, but, but this is getting really exciting. Of course it is. No, this is ace. This is ace. Like, to be fair, 
I mean, this is on the backdrop that NASA, uh, NASA have just uh, uh, are facing massive uh, spending cuts yeah. because Trump has pulled a huge tranche of money mm. out of the out of the budget. But anyway, that that aside, uh, not only United Launch Alliance, but we've also got Bijlow Aerospace as well. Yeah, and so Robert Bijlow, the maker of the Beam, of course, that's the inflatable habitat on the side of the International uh-huh. Space Station. Uh, this is what he said. He said, Mars is premature at this time. The moon is not. We have the technology, we have the ability and the potential for a terrific business case. It is about time, isn't it? It has kind of been a bit baffling that people haven't jumped on this before we jumped on the Mars thing. I mean, I guess a lot of that is to do with Elon Musk, isn't it? The moon went off the kind of agenda, thanks mm. to Obama, really. Obama sort of goes, well, we've done it. Yeah. Uh, let's concentrate on on uh, on Mars. So mm. Obama kind of pulled the plug on the moon for a bit, which might mean why um, the Trump administration might be even more dead set on going for it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. So something else that yeah. they've done that he that he didn't. Well, I mean, very interesting. I mean, so when they're talking yeah. about settlement, are we talking about uh, something that the ordinary man can go up and live on the moon? Are we are we thinking well, about that? No, or is, I don't. For no, now I think, it's just scientific. Uh, a I think you, base. I think it's more. I think it's more like yeah, the bases they have in the Antarctic. You know, that kind of. Cause, you know, there's huge scientific bases there that are permanently manned by scientists. Matt, are you telling me so, I can't go to the moon if I have enough money? No, you. you no, you could go to the moon. Okay. For example. Uh, Buzz Aldrin uh, visited the Arctic. Um, uh, science bases i mean admittedly he's famous and and but he <laughs> but you can visit them okay you know and i'm not saying you're not famous Jamie, well. because i know that the podcast has made us both incredibly famous and people talk a about me spoiled <sighs> yeah please please talk about it, me people <laughs> i mean i never used to have a i never used to have a tour manager or an agent mm. or a hairstylist before the yeah, show that's true yeah yeah how's the autograph so anyway on? so but Bijlow, mm. I want to get back to Bijlow. So Bijlow's going to build inflatable depots on the on the moon. That is amazing. Yeah. Imagine seeing those pictures. Bezos added, I think that if you go to the moon first and make the moon your home, then you can get to Mars more easily. And one of the reasons was because there's there's loads of water on the moon, and of course water splits into hydrogen oxygen. So you can also be used for rocket fuel. Yeah. So the moon is a massive gas station in space, as the Americans would say. We would say the moon is a massive petrol station in space. Isn't it just a big? Isn't it just a big bit of cheese? Why do the Americans call it gas when clearly it's a liquid? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, I suppose it's, it is gasoline, but That's, but still, yeah. yeah. It's not. It's not right, is it? Get. How do they know I go gash? That's a quote from Dumb and Dumber, for my good mate Andy oh. Views. Um, <laughs> right. So, Matt, uh, what can you tell me about NASA's Kepler? Ah, so yes, one of the things that surprised me about the Trappist One story mm. is that it wasn't Kepler that had found these. Well, that had confirmed these exoplanets and had found the extra ones. Yeah, because Kep. Kepler is the one that's found the most exoplanets. That's it's right. been the exoplanet king. Mm. Uh, but it was Spitzer. But it just so happens that when they found the first couple of planets around Trappist-1, 
that Kepler was entering a, a new mission that they call K2. That's right. Uh, and the reason why it's on, a, on this K2 mission is because now it's uh, reaction wheels and, and certain parts of the satellite aren't working as well as they used to. Mm. So uh, it's having to do a slightly different mission because it's no, lo- no longer accurate enough to do its original mission. Yeah. It far exceeded what people were expecting it to do. Yeah. But they've ma- managed to sort of uh, get it to do a little bit more work on this K2 mission. Right. And just before that they were choosing this uh, uh, one of the missions on the K2 mission, which they were calling Campaign 12, mm. they were alerted about TRAPPIST-1 and were able to make a few uh, adjustments, initial coordinate, coordinate and patch changes, so that uh, Kepler was actually pointing at TRAPPIST-1 for quite a long time, so they had a really big uh, observation of TRAPPIST-1. And, and uh, NASA has just dumped that data for public consumption so that scientists can work on it and get even more information about the TRAPPIST-1 system. That's ace. So that we can learn a bit more. Yeah, it's fantastic. So we've got a quote here from uh, Michael Haas, science officer, director for the Kepler and K2 mission. And he says, The observing field for the Campaign 12 was set when the discovery of the first planet orbiting TRAPPIST-1 was announced. And the science community had already submitted proposals for the specific targets of interest in that field. We are lucky that the K2 mission was able to observe TRAPPIST-1. Amazing. Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? The unexpected opportunity to further study the TRAPPIST-1 system was quickly recognised and the agility of the K1 team and the science community prevailed once again. Dun, dun, dun! I love that. That's amazing. Yeah, cool. That's a really cool story, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, that that would be interesting how much more information we start getting about TRAPPIST-1. And, of course, one of the things I think that, that that's good about that is that it will give more information for when we get the James Webb telescope mm. up mm. to sort of say, well, this is what we want to learn using the James Webb telescope. When does the James Webb, teles- uh, Webb telescope go up? I believe it's 2018 on an Ariane. Five. We should probably refer back to our previous yeah, podcast. We, we did. We did. We did. We did uh, have a James Webb episode, didn't we? Oh, I can't features. wait to see that thing go up. Oh my! So gosh. so rad. Um, Matt, I'm going to ask you a question, yeah. and I don't know if you're ready for it. Yeah. Could fast radio bursts be powering alien probes? Whoa, Jamie, what are you saying, throw, I, dude? I'm throwing <laughs> it out there. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, send it back to me. Just how weird are these fast radio bursts? It is amazing, isn't it? It's something I've read about every now and then, but I didn't realise just how peculiar they were because they've only they've only seen about twenty four of these things in, in the entire time of observing, and they come from pretty much the deepest and darkest recesses of the universe, way back in time. See. Everyone everyone does get very excited, don't they? You get lots of the conspiracy mags and websites going absolutely mental when anything yeah. like this happens. It's definitely life. It's definitely aliens. Um, when sometimes they need to relax a little bit. But, you know, we've got to start somewhere. And this is very interesting. Yeah, this is, this is pretty cool. So this uh, a theorist called Avi Loeb from the Harvard Smithsonian mm. Center for Astrophysics and who else comes from the Harvard Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics? Go on. It's our friend Jonathan McDowell. Sony Jonathan McDowell. Yes, it. So yeah. it's one of his mates, Avi Loeb, uh, and he's thinking that these millisecond long flashes of radio emission 
mm. that were first discovered in 2007, by the way, mm. uh, by the sort of massive, those massive dishes in uh, Australia and, and the Arecibo Observatory in Puerto yeah. Rico. They could be uh, a, a little kind of leakage of the power being used to propel interstellar craft right. by an alien civilization. So just like, you know, the Starship Breakthrough is powered by lasers, yeah. he's basically suggesting that if you had a planet twice the size of Earth that was one enormous solar panel right, and then it was liquid-cooled, it could generate enough energy to blast out and propel a kind of titanic-sized interstellar probe that, you know, could house a crew, a substantial crew mm. and cargo uh, on interstellar journeys. And that we would only see a brief flash of this uh, leakage because, obviously, all these galaxies are moving in in at the same time that we're moving yeah. as well. So it would uh, the, the beam would only sort of cross us mm. ever so briefly while we sort of went through it and they went past us as well. Yeah. So it works, basically, sort of. I mean, at the moment, they're obviously looking into it more. I think even he admits that it is very speculative, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so... There are some nice quotes to go with this, aren't there? There's a really good quote that I think actually that actually you can apply to pretty much everything. It's, a, it's actually fantastic. Go for it. He admits it's speculative, and, and, when, he, and when he's asked whether he really believes that any fast radio bursts are due to aliens he replied science isn't a matter of belief it's a matter of evidence deciding what's likely ahead of the time limits the possibilities it's worth putting ideas out there and letting the data be the judge well i mean what that's that's just great isn't it all he's saying is he's come up with a little theory and and he's putting those ideas out there and if the data comes in and, and proves it wrong he doesn't he doesn't mind he's not saying this is it. He's just saying, yeah. oh, oh, it might be this. And that's why I love science, Matt. That's why I love yep. it. Because they're um, all, it's all right if you're wrong. And actually, that's what science is built on. People getting stuff yeah. wrong and going, oh, it's not what we expected. It's this. Great. Let's look into that. And sometimes it's more exciting when you're wrong. Maybe we should make a record, Matt, that's called It's More Exciting When You're Wrong. <laughs> you heard it here first. Talking of records, we have a winner for our competition last week. Go on, who's won? Uh, they didn't send in their favourite podcast. Yeah. Uh, there were a few people that uh, sent in their favourite podcast, but only one person got it correct. Right. <laughs> and, and, and what was the <laughs> Which, correct answer, firstly? It was, was, was podcast number eight. Oh, of course it was. Travel. Of course podcast. it was, yeah. Uh, because <laughs> <So laughs> that was my favourite yeah so have you got the lyrics in front of you because yeah the, the person who won was uh, a chap called Chris Carney who sent in a song what? and he's won himself an interplanetary podcast t-shirt shut the door and, may, and we'll maybe chuck in a couple of business cards as well shut the door how cool is that I mean these things are so exclusive there aren't any of these around this is this is really rare stuff. This is rare merch. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be like a Beatles bone record from Moscow. That's how rare this thing is. Congratulations, Chris. I reckon in oof, in about 20 years' time, Chris will be able to sell this for, <laughs> oof, I don't know, anything up to £2 million. Pounds. I mean, people talk about, you know, the rare Beatles monos from, uh, you know, Abbey Road. But this... So... Well done, Chris. Uh, so here's his song. I'm going to play it now. 
SpaceX. From electric cars to massive rockets. SpaceX. Moon missions, Mars ambitions. SpaceX. Elon Musk, launch date busk. SpaceX. Recycle boosters, heavy falcon. SpaceX. Sounds like a strip club at Star Trek. Oh, sweet relief. Well done, Chris Carney. SpaceX. From electric cars to massive rockets. SpaceX. Moon mission, Mars ambition. SpaceX. Elon Musk, Lobstake Busk. SpaceX. Recycled boosters, heavy falcon. SpaceX. Sounds like a strip club in Star Trek. Oh, yeah, baby, space. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good tune. Good that. lord! I tell you what, if we don't get some kind of royalties for that, I'm going to be upset. So well done, Chris. Your exclusive T-shirt is on its way. Well, congratulations, Carney. Uh, so, Jamie, you know you were thinking of going to Mars. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Big time. Um, well, NASA would like to know about it actually. Yeah, because um, yeah, why? They're asking. They the agency have issued a request for information or an RFI. Uh, that basically is asking anyone if they're going to uh, Mars in a spaceship uh, in 2020 and beyond, if they could just uh, let them know, because they want to know if they can um, leave some stuff with you. Yeah, that's uh, fine. Like to take there. So it's like furthering NASA's human deep space exploration goals with, will require significant amount of scientific research and opportunities to collect data on Mars have been rare. Yeah, that's absolutely fine, yeah. Evolving capabilities in the private sector have opened the possibility for NASA to take advantage of commercial opportunities to land scientific payloads on the surface of the Red Planet. I mean, I'll charge them a, a fair... It'll be, the fee will be fair. Um, I'll charge so, yeah, them. this is a bit like put out a Facebook post saying, oh, if, if anyone's going to Birmingham, can they take my sleeping bag back to my <laughs> mum and dad's house? It is quite strange, isn't it? Yeah. There's no secrets anymore, is there? So, yeah, Jamie, when you get your um, spaceship going to Mars, if you can just let NASA know. So, Matt, I'll tell you what I want to talk about. Oh, yes. You know my favourite planet in our galaxy, don't Your you? favourite planet? Earth? Is Earth your favourite planet? <laughs> Apart from Earth. It's obviously Saturn. Yes, Saturn. And um, Saturn's got... One of Saturn's moons... Is called Pan, and uh, the Cassini probe has taken some amazing photos, close-up photos of Pan, and it does look weird, doesn't it? It, it, it looks like a it looks like a fried egg or something. It looks like a, a piece of ravioli. It is or... like a, a flying saucer esque kind of thing. It's amazing. I tell you what, it reminds me of. It reminds me of those um, mm. sweets, flying saucer sweets that you used to get in the shops. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. Which, ironically, is what every uh, UFO conspiracist loves to put up in their photos. So um, they'll be loving it. It's just definite proof. Uh, I tell you what, this is very very similar to the moon that we talked about on the previous podcast. That's right. Uh, where it's a moon that's in between the rings, and this one's in the Enki Gap. Or the Enk Enk Gap. I don't know how to say it really. Is that is that in the outer A ring of of debris? And if you can remember my beautiful song from the uh, Saturn's Ring podcast, which helps us remember the rings. I tried to forget, but <laughs> thanks for uh, thanks for adding that. Yeah. Again. So and and it's a bit like you know we talked about how the moons kind of aren't quite circular orbits like the rings and, and they're slightly more elliptical and also they, they're sort of a bit they go a bit up and down that's right apparently this is what's happening as, mm. and as they sort of go across 
they're kind of sweeping up a bit of the ring debris around the side of them. That's so right. they're gathering all this dust around their midriff. Mm. So it ends up making them look like a fried egg. It does look weird. That's weird looking things, aren't they? Crazy. Go to our Tumblr and please look at the photos. It's amazing. Now, something else that's awesome, Matt, um, is uh, the film coming up in 2018 that we briefly touched upon at the beginning of this podcast called First Man, a Neil Armstrong biopic um, has finally got its release date um, and it's going to be starring uh, the main man of the moment, Ryan Gosling. Um, and it's going to uh, chronicle the life and career of the first person to walk the moon. Yeah, so when, when is that going to get released? Um, well, it's meant to be the 12th of October 2018. That's the, uh, that's the release date. October the 12th, 2018. Because that's going to be really close to the time mm. that Elon Musk is going to be sending people around the moon. Oh. So it's going to... I wonder if that's going to be the film that they watch when they go up. You know, the like when you get your meal. You know, you the the, the seatbelt the seatbelt signs turned off. You quickly go to the toilet and you want to watch. It's going to be amazing, isn't it? I mean, that's going to really give the film a, a massive oh, boost, isn't absolute, it? Absolutely, absolutely amazing. You know, can you imagine any any more publicity for the film? It being absolutely incredible. I mean, people are going to be going moon mad. There's going to be lunacy. Oh, oh, oh God! I'm sorry, everyone. I had no idea. I had no idea he was going to say that. All right. Oh, do, you, do you reckon that um, Moon Mad's an actual thing? Like you know, in the film, in the film Moon, which was so good. Duncan Jones, if you're listening, I'm a massive fan. Please make a remake of Moon. What a film! So yeah, talking of movies. Oh yeah, you're going to talk about Spuds on Mars, aren't you? Spuds on Mars. Okay, so Spuds on Mars. When you say that, most people will think about. Obviously, The Martian. Firstly, the book, and then the uh, Mad Damon film, where he successfully grows, grows spuds on Mars. So this is actually correct, is it, Matt? It's physically possible? So, yeah, it looks In like, theory. according to a recent study, that growing potatoes on Mars might actually be feasible. Yeah, the researchers have uh, grown uh, potatoes in a CubeSat-sized container that mimics the Martian temperature and atmosphere... And they've actually sprouted, and you can actually go and watch a time-lapse video online of this potato um, growing. Now, can I just interrupt and say where, where this research was done? Because I, love, I want to go here. It, 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 this was at the International Potato Centre in Peru, known as CIP. I mean, wow, the International Potato Centre. Why isn't there one here? I'd go well, to that. Of course, the Peruvians know loads about potatoes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, yeah. Originally, the the potato was poisonous, and it was the Incas that uh, managed to breed the potatoes to get rid of the poison. Really interesting. And to, because they're such a fantastic source of nutrition, and even now, uh, Peru, uh, there are still pockets of population that grow the poisonous type because they're so hardy and they've come up with this technology of freezing them and then trampling out the poison. Blimey, I think I'll stick to my King Edwards. So, yeah, they're the experts, the the Peruvians on this sort of thing. (laughs) So, yeah, it looks like we might be able to grow potatoes on Mars. That'd be absolutely incredible. But as we saw from from the film in The Martian and and obviously in the book, please, if you're going to do that, 
take lots of ketchup with you because he runs out quite quickly, doesn't he? And a potato on its own with no seasoning or sauce. Ugh. Or if not, Matt, you know what? I'm going to open up the tent. I'm going to take my space helmet off. Just let me die. Can can we can we make butter in Mars? So NASA have called <laughs> the Europa, their up and coming Europa mission, the Europa Clipper. You know what a clipper is, don't you, Jamie? Oh, go on. A really famous clipper ship is the Cutty Sark. Yeah, big time. <laughs> yeah, and something that trims your, your your toenails. And Matt, that is where the term "I like the cut of your jib." came from meaning you had a very thin sail at the front meaning you went faster than the other ships did you know that little fact for you it's going to go just like the cutty sark yeah it's going to go really really fast uh every two weeks it's going to whiz past europa Mm. it's going to do 40 or 45 of these flybys and one of the reasons is to stay out of the intense radiation uh near europa so it's just going to sort of dive in and dive out much the same as Juno's doing with uh, mm. Jupiter at the moment. So, yeah, Europa is a very high priority uh, place because it's got a salty liquid water ocean underneath the icy crust. So it could be habitable. And one of the purposes of Europa Clipper is to see if it is. Aha. I mean, it would be mind-blowing. Yeah, well, that is interesting. So do we know when this actually might happen, this mission? I'm slightly depressed by the timeline on this. So... Oh, go uh, on. It's going to fly... This is going to be like Trappist 1. You're going to say, not in, in my lifetime. Uh, the 2020s. Okay. Yeah, I know. That's that's a bit disappointing, isn't it? So that's launch. And when would it get to the Jupiter system? Uh, arriving in Jupiter several years later. Oh. Yeah, so it arrives several years later. So... I'd imagine it's not till the 2030s oh. that we're going to see Come on, NASA. the data of this. We playing it. Pull so, your socks Jamie, up. can you tell me what launches we've got coming up? Ah, well, launches. March the 14th, we have Falcon 9. Yeah, so the Falcon 9, of course, is the one that we've been waiting for. I mean, this, this satellite's been on the show absolutely loads, hasn't it? The Echo Star. Because, yeah, this is the one that's been delayed and delayed and delayed. So if it does take off on the March the 14th, that will be uh, pretty exciting stuff. Uh, we've just had a Delta Four cancelled. So I don't think we're going to see that this week, but we might do. Uh, there's a really exciting Japanese rocket taking off on March the 15th, uh, which will be a Japanese H-2A rocket Ace. with a data-gathering satellite, yeah. a radar satellite for the Japanese yeah. government. And a little bit later, just before the next podcast, what we got will be an Atlas V. It's going to be launched on my birthday, nineteenth of March. Yeah, on your birthday. No, we should we should fly out. We should fly out to Cape Canaveral. Whoa, 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 Cape Canaveral. Let's just do it. Let's oh, just fly shoot. out to Cape Canaveral. Yes, we should. It's going to be absolutely amazing. I saw your legends lined up, and I never felt well, more powerful. As 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 the might. My- as the mighty Conor Oberst once sang. Well, that's amazing. Um, Do you know what? Matt, I've really enjoyed this podcast. I don't want it to end. So, yeah, did I tell you what I was doing today, Jamie? So I was down at the... What's that? I was down at the Olympic Park for a thing called the Run the Solar System. Nice, how was it? And I was working on the British Interplanetary Society stall and chatting to lots and lots of people about space. It was great. Lovely. And we had a proper so-called space suit which was brilliant. The kids got so excited when they when they realised that um, uh, 
Tim Peake had worn that exact same spacesuit. Yeah, lots of people came by and were looking at that and playing with the gloves and the and the helmet and all the pipes that come off it. And Alistair had bits of satellites Legend. and thermal blankets and stuff like that. And he also had a piece of quartz that they grow really pure yeah. quartz for timepiece for for timekeeping electronics. And they grow this really, really pure quartz and there's a piece there's a piece that he had that's about the size of a small book really and it's worth about twenty five thousand pounds what it was really cool just this one one just this one massive big crystal that of quartz is, so that cool. is crazy wow amazing so, yeah jamie i've just i've just had a text off my mate christian stringer going what's all this interplanetary blog about really <laughs> What someone of someone doesn't know about our podcast? Surely not. Can, can you believe it? So, if you want to know what this interplanetary stuff's all about, you should go to interplanetary.org.uk. Christian, I mean, where have you been? You know, we've been named, we've been dropping some names in this podcast. I'd like to ask um, one of our regular listeners, Nick New. I want him to find the best space quote he can find. And then I think we should read it out on podcast 26. So that's your challenge, Nick. I know you're listening. Um, all right, Matt, I think it's the end. Um, the end is nigh. Um, well, it's been emotional. I'd like to say thank you for listening. Yep. And goodbye. So we'll see you next week. Thanks very much for listening, as always. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.